Oh my god, I'm heartily sorry, for I have offended the productions. In association with MediaGauntlet.com presents Views from the Longbox for October 17th, 2007, episode 16. What have you done? Nothing. Nothing except read comic books. You also lose our jobs on account of comic books. You keep me awake every night with your bad dreams on account of comic books. really need to get more bookshelves. The trades are starting to pile up and I'm quickly running out of what little room I have. Man, it's going to be so freaking sweet when I finally get the fortress into the shape I want it in. I'll have better access to my comic books. I won't feel as cramped. I do admit that having the extra fridge in here is kind of nice because I really don't have to go all that far when I'm thirsty. But I will trade the convenience of having all my crap out and accessible over walking, you know, less than two feet to get a drink whenever I'm feeling parched. That's eh, going to be good overall. Totally reorganized, totally re-energized. That's how I'll be. <sighs> anyway, welcome back to Views from the Long Box. I am your host, Michael Bailey, here once again to take up about 30 minutes of your time and, oh, about 30 megs on your hard drive to discuss some aspect of the wide, wide world of comic books. If this is your first time listening to the show, you probably won't notice some of the changes going on, but for those of you who have actually been with me for a while, uh, things are going to seem a little different. Not horribly so. I'm just taking a few things, throwing them against the wall, and seeing if they stick. This podcast will always be a work in progress, I'm guessing, but I do want to make it a little more of an actual show rather than, you know, me kind of rambling on for about 30 minutes or so. I mean, I'm still going to have, like, the theme song episodes, which I like doing because it doesn't take all that much work to get one of those done. And if everything goes right, about once a month, uh, we'll be having, like, a Mike and Shag show thing going on where, you know, my good buddy Shag Matthews from The Unique Geek will come on and we'll probably end up talking smack to each other for most of the episode and probably never really get around to talking what we really wanted to talk about. In the vein of trying out new and interesting things, I'd like to introduce a brand spanking new feature here to Views from the Long Box. I call it Out of Context Theater. How this works is is that I will take some audio snippets from an old comic book related television series, movie serial, radio show, whatever, that was probably just fine and dandy, dandy and fine back in the day, but to the cold, hard, cynical light of the modern age, sounds a little off. It was back in around 1998 that I actually started listening to the old Superman radio show from the 40s. And while I think it is quite good, there are times where I would hear something and go, what the huh? 
And that's kind of where all of this came from. For the inaugural edition of Out of Context Theater, I have a clip I was able to dig up from a 1945 episode of the Adventures of Superman radio series, where we have Jimmy Olsen, cub reporter for the Daily Planet, finally admitting to something that most of us had already suspected. How would you like to go to Playland this evening? Playland? Mm -hmm. Oh, sure, you bet. They got a terrific giant roller coaster there, and it... Uh-oh, I forgot. I got a date with Dick Grayson. Dick Grayson? Oh, the boy we found in the boat that time. That's right. I, I don't know what's more disturbing. The fact that Jimmy Olsen is going out on a date, apparently, with Dick Grayson, or if Jimmy Olsen is going out on a date with somebody that they found in a boat. And that, it's kind of funny that that's the way Lois remembers Dick Grayson. Not as that fine, upstanding chap who is the ward to that dude who lives in Gotham City and has a crap load of money. But just, no, he's he's the boy we found in that boat that one time. <laughs> man, and, and Jimmy turning down a date with Lois for Dick Grayson. Man, I don't know how to feel about that. I mean, if that's the way Jimmy swings, then that's fine. And if you think that, you know, me making light of all of this is offensive or in bad taste, well, you might be right. But in my defense, Jimmy does go on in the next episode to say that he was going to meet Dick Grayson at the Y, as in the YMCA. And it wasn't me who ruined the reputation of that fine institution. It was the village people. So anything that you find offensive here, just blame on the village people, because it's just easier to blame other people than me. I'm just kind of surprised that all the rumors about Batman and Robin turned out to be true. Though, to be fair, if you have ever read any of the books uh, that Batman and Robin appeared in, throughout the late 40s and all throughout the 50s, then there was already some pretty incriminating evidence. I mean, Wortham didn't have to look far to find examples of Batman's unsavory relationship with the boy Wonder. Man, if only there was Dateline NBC with Chris Hansen back then and the whole the catch a predator thing. You could have an episode where Dateline, working in concert, with the Gotham City Police Department could arrange for Commissioner Gordon to throw up the bat signal and when they get to police headquarters he tells them to go to this house where maybe like you know with some cover story of the Joker or the Penguin hiding out there and Batman and Robin jump back into the Batmobile and rush off to that house and they break in and as soon as they get in some line producer from Dateline takes Robin into the other room and Batman, he's just kind of left standing there for a few moments, not really knowing what to do. And that's when Chris Hansen walks in with his little pad of paper, whatever the hell he's holding in those things, and asks Batman to have a seat. And Batman, you know, does. He doesn't really know what's going on. Chris Hansen looks nothing like the Joker, so he probably doesn't suspect that this is a trap or anything. And Batman starts, you know, drinking the Kool-Aid and eating the chips that Dateline so conveniently supplies for the online predators that they're trying to trap and that's when Chris Hansen launches into this whole you know what are you doing how could you bring a boy to a crime scene and why do you live with that boy in a cave and an old man and god that would just be the most awesome to catch a predator ever man god comedy gold I tell you 
comedy gold. Nothing like making fun of child predators to try to get a laugh out of your audience, I tell you. Uh, now that that bit, which will no doubt alienate any listeners, new or old, I can get to the main feature of this week, which concerns my current love affair with the trade paperback. And that is probably one of the lousiest segues in radio podcast history. God, that sucked. I mean, here I am trying to impress you with my new format and my one of what will potentially be my new theme songs, and I just do something like that. Well, I guess the only worst thing I could do is try to cover it up by making a joke out of it. Anyways, when I was doing what passes for prep work for this episode, I I remembered a conversation I had with my brother-in-law back around eh, 92, 93. He had been a comic collector and somewhat dealer of comic books in his youth, and because I was 15 when he met my sister, I thought this served as a connection uh, between us on some bizarre level, so I thought, in turn, that I could talk to him about comics, barely aware of the fact that he just wasn't as interested in them anymore as I was. During one of those chats, though, I asked him when he thought DC was going to get around to doing a trade paperback of Crisis on Infinite Earths, and he looked at me and said they probably would never do that because of the size of the series and the fact that it would cost too much to produce and probably wouldn't sell all that well. Now, I could sit here and laugh about that statement, but in all honesty, in the early 90s, that was a valid way of thinking about trade paperbacks. One of the more interesting evolutions that I have seen over the past 20-odd years of collecting has been the ascension of the collected edition, or trade paperback, whatever you want to call it. Personally, I like to call any and all books that collect a storyline or miniseries a trade paperback, and any book that is an original story that had not been previously published a graphic novel. And then you could break it down into further subgroups like essentials and showcases and hardcovers or phone book editions, but only if you want to be like me and get really anal retentive about such things. (laughs) Around nine or so years ago, to kind of do a little digression, I got into this long and drawn-out argument with my friend Andy about whether or not the Cerebus collections were trade paperbacks or novels. It was one of those arguments that you only have when you're like, you know, 19, 20, 21, where such things seem to matter. You know, nowadays I really don't care because, well, you know, Andy was wrong. I mean, he he referred to them as novels. They, they just weren't novels. They're trade paperbacks. And I didn't care that Dave Sim calls them novels because frankly Dave Sim is insane and thus any opinion he has on any subject including his own work is immediately suspect but you know Dave Sim crazy that's you know if you've ever read the man's diatribes and his letters pages you know he's Dave Sim's nuts I don't care what he did for the independent comic book market Anyway, it's been rather interesting to see how important trades are becoming to the current comic book marketplace. The fact that I like them so much is no surprise, since the first comics I remember reading 
were in the Superman from the 30s to the 70s and the Batman volume of the same name. So, collected editions and I go way back. Actually, those hardcovers were pretty much how comic book collections went back then. With few exceptions, collected editions were mostly released in hardcover, like the aforementioned Superman and Batman from the 30s to the 70s. There was even a Shazam volume uh, of that series, and I think Wonder Woman got a hardcover release of some kind with a collection of a bunch of her comics in them. I believe Gloria Steinem did the introduction to that. And, uh, you know, I even found a couple years ago a hardcover of DC romance books from the 60s. And wow, you you want to read the same story over and over again? I mean, people complain today that writers are telling the same stories over and over and over again. I mean, literally, it's like the same damn... Well, okay, I'll take that back. It's the three same stories told in cycles with different characters. It's kind of amazing to read. You know, Marvel, to kind of get back on track there, Marvel released a bunch of these hardcovers, too, with Origins of Marvel and Sons of Origins, and a really neat Hulk collection that I found in the Shoemaker Elementary Library when I was in the sixth grade. You know, even going into the 80s, Superman got a a Superman from the 30s to the 80s, which was very difficult to find. I finally secured a copy from eBay that was apparently bought in some kind of library sale. It's very bizarre. It still has a little, you know, the imprint of the library and the library card thing. I'm thinking if I ever rent it out that I should actually just print up on cardstock a kind of little library card and have people, you know, fill it out before they take it. But that might be going a little too far. If the books weren't done in a nice hardcover release, there were also these little paperback-sized books that were mostly black and white and have the panels kind of cut up so that they would fit on the page. And those were kind of weird because you would actually find those in grocery stores and such in the little paperback section that most grocery stores still have, actually. Slowly, over the course of the 80s, collected editions started to pop up more and more, at least to me. I just realized that I seem to be giving kind of an oral history of the trade paperback, but frankly, finding any info on the subject has proved kind of elusive over the past few days of me trying. I mean, Google has just been no help whatsoever, and I figured that there had to be at least one site out there that talked about the early trade paperbacks and such, but to no avail. So all of what you are listening to right now is based on what I remember, and all dates and such should be taken with a grain of salt. And legal disclaimer or whatever you want to call it. I guess if this was like a car commercial, I would have said all that very, very fast. Uh, Anyways, I guess it was books like Cerebus and Ronin and then Dark Knight Returns and Watchmen and even to a certain extent uh, John Byrne's Man of Steel that made the trade paperback appealing to a larger audience. I first started coming across them in 88 or so when the big build-up to the Batman film started. Walden Books began carrying some of the Batman trades, and I was just fascinated by them. And I mean, here they were, comics in book form in a real live bookstore. Oh, the wonders of this modern age in which we live. Can flying cars and hoverpacks be far behind? Ah, it, was a, it was an age of wonder, I tell you. 
it's kind of funny to note that over the next few years after that, like, you know, 89 and on, trades could really be broken up into two categories. Kind of nice and cheap as hell. And you were only getting the really big stories, too, up until the early 90s. The Dark Phoenix Saga has been traded for a long time now, and that's actually how I first read that story. And that was one of the nicer trades, you know, with a good quality cover, good quality paper. DC had some nice collections going as well. I mean, there was a hardcover of the History of the DC Universe two-issue miniseries that they produced in 1986 that Graffiti Designs, I believe, put out. And they also had, you know, the aforementioned Watchmen and Dark Knight that had the good quality paper stock as well. But for some other stories, like Death in the Family, the supposed death of Jason Todd, and Emerald Dawn a year later, uh, which was the big Green Lantern reboot, were both printed on what seems to be tissue paper. I actually have the Emerald Dawn trade, and while it's neat that it has a four ninety five price tag on it, and I actually bought it for a dollar out of some box at a place called Book Nook in Atlanta. The pages are so thin, they're starting to bleed through each other. It's kind of sad. I mean, it was, it was like either we're going to spend some money on this, or nothing at all whatsoever. DC also experimented with a Greatest Stories Ever Told line of hardcovers, which would eventually get released as soft covers. And these included Superman, Batman, The Flash, The Joker, The 50s, that's the greatest 50 stories ever told. I have the soft cover right over on my shelf there, and even the greatest team-ups ever told were all covered in this line. They were nice. Kind of a nicer version of the from the 30s to the 70s books from a decade or so back. Very good quality. I bought the greatest Superman stories ever told. Uh, last year. I was very happy to see that whoever had it before me took very, very nice care of it. I've always been curious if it was those books that started the archives line at DC, but I honestly believe that DC started up their archives series because Marvel had started up their Masterworks line in 87 or so. Both of these were a series of very nice hardcover full-color books, but they were also $50 a piece. And I was, you know, 13 years old when DC started their archive stuff, and that was like 10 weeks worth of my allowance. So I wasn't going to buy those at all. Starting around the early 90s, Marvel started putting out trades of their more popular books in addition to the graphic novels that they had been publishing since the early 80s, and most of which, by like 1989, all starred The Punisher. Uh, Ghost Riders early issues were traded. There was a New Mutants trade with the early Cable appearances. They even did a small trade of the Spider-Man X-Force crossover for some bizarre reason. I guess they thought it would sell. Those issues were rather popular since it was you know, Rob Liefeld's big book crossing over with Todd McFarlane's big book. So I guess they thought people would want to read it in a form outside the comic book itself. They weren't common, and they weren't in bookstores, really. But as the decade wore on, Marvel and DC started putting out more and more trades. Marvel put out a trade for just about every big X crossover, 
you know, from Extinction Agenda to Executioner song. Uh, I was buying in that era a lot of the Superman trades that they started putting out, uh, which included they saved Luther's brain and finally they put out an Exile trade and they had a Crisis of the Crimson Kryptonite trade. And I guess because Marvel and DC were putting out so much product in addition to other publishers that by about 2000 or so you actually had a graphic novel section in most of the major bookstores. I don't know what the cause and effect relationship of that was. I don't know if it was because Marvel and DC were putting out so much product that they started carrying it or if it was a concerted effort on the part of maybe Marvel at the time to get into the bookstores. Don't know. No matter the case, today it is very common for a story arc or miniseries to be collected within a month, and in some cases it seems almost in the same month of the final chapter. Uh, JLA was big about doing this when Grant Morrison began his run on that book. Now, some argue that creators and publishers have been kind of what they call writing for the trade for years now because of the back-end sale of the trade paperback. And really there's a lot of merit to that. It's common to find six-part storylines these days because they fit so conveniently into a collected edition. Marvel and DC keep trying to up the ante too with omnibus and absolute editions, each high-end expensive collections with all kinds of extras that I kind of dig. There are people who don't even collect monthly comic books anymore, but instead wait for the trade to come out. And as with any era of fandom, there is a schism in the ranks over this issue. Some feel that those who wait for the trade are strange creatures who practice a different lifestyle, and there are those on the other side of the fence that think that trades are the way of the future and are dismissive of those that read floppies. God, I hate that term, too. Floppies. I read that a few years ago, and it kind of hit the freaking roof. What a stuck-up elitist attitude to have. <sighs> As for me personally, I really don't care. I just like reading comics, and a trade is simply another vessel to get my fix. I kind of look at it like this. I will drink a Coke out of a bottle or a can. It doesn't matter. I'm thirsty, and I want a Coke. I've always considered myself kind of a reader-slash-collector type of fan, with an emphasis on the reader part, and while I prefer to read comics in their original form, I'm not overly picky. And trades are convenient. There are times when I just want to read something, and digging into my comics isn't the easiest thing to do. And having that particular storyline just right there on the shelf is just a simpler way of getting what I want. I'm also a big believer in the fact that trades are a great way to read the older stories that are either A, hard to find, or B, just too expensive to contemplate buying by the issue. The Marvel Essentials and DC Showcases have been pretty awesome in this respect. Sure, they're in black and white, but for 17 bucks you get like 20 issues worth of material. The recent Superman and Batman Chronicles are even better because they are also cheap, they are in color, and they are in chronological order from the very first appearances. So you're reading kind of like the way they did with the showcase Superman and Batman books, you're reading the action comics and the Superman and eventually the world's finest from that particular month. Plus, and this is 
just going to sound odd to some of you. The trades just look good on the shelf. I know that's kind of strange, but there's something satisfying about having a large trade paperback essential whatever collection on the bookshelf. There's this pride I get, kind of like when I go through my comics and think of all the short-term goals I've reached as far as that particular collection goes. They're just neat to have, really. While I buy all kinds of trades, lately at least, I am particularly aggressive in getting the Superman ones, which should surprise no one. As in my Superman comics collecting, or floppies, for those of you that think you're cool f for calling them that, I will actually buy the hardcover and softcover editions just to have them. May seem kind of silly to some, and I do have people asking me, well, don't you just have the comics? Well, yeah, I do, but it's Superman, so I buy all the editions. It's why I have four different editions of the Man of Steel miniseries, as a matter of fact. I got a fourth printing of the original trade, the mostly black-covered trade from the early 90s that was like 8 bucks. The recent Superman the Man of Steel edition uh, as part of that series of trade paperbacks, and this really neat collection that was offered through Diamond as a retailer incentive, I believe, which really isn't a trade paperback so much as just six issues bound together under a funky-looking cover. It's very neat. I like that one. For various reasons, but most importantly because my wife got that for me uh, in the first months of us dating, so it kind of has a sentimental value attached to it as well. Despite my trade paperback love, I haven't broken down and actually collected a series by trade until just last month, and even then, I, I don't know if I can do that. I, I mean, I, I like buying my comics on a monthly basis. It's just how I'm wired to do as a collector. But in September, I got hooked into the world of The Walking Dead by Robert Kirkman, and instead of tracking down the issues, I just started buying the trades because they're like 13 bucks. I mean, I think they are less expensive to buy by the trade than they are by the issue. So there's a money-saving uh, incentive there. Over the past three weeks, I kind of caught myself up on the series up to the most recent volume, and it's been pretty cool to be able to just sit there and read them at six issues at a shot or so. There's a part of me that, as much as I like buying my comics on a monthly basis, hates to wait another month to get the next chapter. So that part of me that has zero patience is very satisfied. On the other hand, I found out the problem inherent in reading a series by the trade when I got to the end of Volume 7, and it has this amazing cliffhanger ending, and I was just all keyed up before I realized it was going to be like January before I find out what happens next. So the dilemma, if you can really call it that, is do I stick to my attempt to read the series by the trade, or do I give in and start buying the monthlies? Man, the trials and tribulations of the modern-day comic book fan. It's a bizarre world that I'm living in, I tell you. Oh well, either way, it's a cool story. I don't know if I'm going to continue reading the series by trade or reading other series by trade, but, you know, it's worth a shot. I have plenty of comics. Trades take up less space. It's kind of convenient. And they look really cool on my shelf as well. And before I wrap things up for this week, I just 
I actually wanted to bring back a feature that I did in the early weeks of views that I just kind of forgot about for some reason, which is my podcast slash vidcast slash blog pick of the week. For this episode, I chose the Collected Comics Library podcast, which seemed rather fitting considering this week's subject matter. This is hosted by Chris Marshall, uh, who is out of Detroit and is a weekly cast that covers just about every trade and hardcover and such that comes out from the major publishers and even some of the minor publishers as well. He is sponsored by in-stock trades in the United States, and I forget what company. I think it's Forbidden Planet out of Europe. So if you tune into his podcast every week, you'll hear all of the deals that both of those online retailers have for their trades, which I, I found very convenient. I haven't actually purchased anything because I haven't been able to with all the Walking Dead trades I've been buying here, but it's nice to know that they're there. Um, I like the show. I think Chris has a very good style. His reviews are interesting and informative. He is very passionate about what he talks about, which I also appreciate. I, I like to hear that. I'll, I'll listen to you if you're passionate. I may not like what you like, but if you can sit there and speak with uh, some level of dedication to your subject matter, uh, then I'll probably subscribe to your thing, at least through iTunes. Or I may just download an episode. I don't know. He has a blog at his website, which you can actually find at collectedcomicslibrary.com. That is a veritable treasure trove of info on nearly every showcase and masterworks and essentials and archives and omnibus all in convenient spreadsheet format so I actually recommend bookmarking the site because in addition to all of that he does update it on a nearly daily basis and blogs about certain things so yeah collected comics library hosted by Chris Marshall is the views podcast pick of the week I also wanted to take a few seconds to announce slash remind everyone that this episode kicks off the first official Views from the Long Box contest. Uh, this one's really simple. Just email me at viewsfromthelongbox at gmail.com and tell me what you think of the show, what you like, what you don't like, what you'd like to hear, or what I should never do again. Also, starting this week, I am alternating between two theme songs that I'm considering, so I'd like you to vote on them as well. The contest will run until the middle of November, at which time I will take out all the names, throw them in the hat, choose one, and whoever that person is wins about 20 or so comics along with a never-before-opened action figure. So drop me a line, and you might actually win something. I'm even going to throw in the cost of shipping and handling and all that, so... Uh, you're getting this completely for free, and all I'm asking for is feedback. Well, remember, though, unless you say otherwise, I reserve the right to read the email on the air. Again, that email address is viewsfromthelongbox at gmail.com. And that's it for this week's episode. I will be back on the 24th of October with a brand new edition of the Mike and Shag Show. Uh, that should be a lot of fun. The week after that, on October 31st, will be the official Views from the Long Box Halloween episode, uh, except no substitutes or the bootleg Views from the Long Box podcasts that I've seen out there. Uh, this year, I am focusing on zombie comics because 
I've been reading The Walking Dead recently, and it seemed like a good idea at the time. In the meantime, you can always check out the official blog for the show at viewsfromthelongbox.blogspot.com, where you can find the back issues of Views, along with a link to the weekly column version of Views from the Long Box over at comicstream.com, which goes up every Friday. You can also check out a link to The Unique Geek, where I am part of that group's bi-weekly podcast. And there's even a link to the wonderful site that hosts me, MediaGauntlet.com. In addition to all of that, you will find the RSS feed and the iTunes link, where you can subscribe to the show, and maybe even write a review for me, like the wonderful Lady Spirit did. And there may be some original material if I ever get off my ass and do some. If you have any extra time after that, head over to Podcast Alley, please, and vote for the show so I can have whatever bragging rights come with being on Podcast Alley. Views from Longbox is presented by Oh My God, I'm Heartily Sorry for I Have Offended the Productions in association with MediaGauntlet.com. Thanks again, everybody. See you next week. Would you like to go to Playland this evening? Playland? Mm -hmm. Oh, sure, you bet. They got a terrific giant roller coaster there, and it. Uh oh, I forgot. I got a date with Dick Grayson. Dick Grayson? Oh, the boy we found in the boat that time. That's right.